Grab a Bible if you have one. Open it up to the book of Philippians. If you do not have a Bible, I want to get one to you. And I'll tell you the page number that we're on to kind of help you get there quickly. So just raise your hand and we'll get a Bible to you. So we have a couple over here. The page number is 980. 980 is where the book of Philippians is found. So uh, I want you to be able to read along. We're going to be in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So big 2, little 1. And you'll be right there with us. So the Bibles that we're handing out are the exact kinds of Bible that I'm going to be using. What is special about this book is, is not so much the paper that it's on or the way it's put together as much as what's most special about it is that we believe it's God's Word. And it's for us today as we look into the lives of the people that it was written to originally. And what was said to them, we believe that in some mysterious, supernatural way, God has a word for us. And so our approach most often as a church is we pick a book of the Bible and then I just teach through it. And I've said it many times and I'll say it many more times before I'm dead that I've got nothing to offer you outside of what God says in his word. And that's why we take it so seriously and feel like it's so important. Plus things can get complicated in life and one of the most simplifying peaceful things we can do is just look Jesus straight fit in the face and say, okay, what do you want me to hear? And the way we do that is by opening God's Word together. So that's why we do it. So if you're new to the Bible, it's okay. Uh, just hang on and, and uh, I'll, I'll do my best to help you to understand what's going on here as I've worked hard to understand it myself. We're in this series where we're walking through Philippians, and the theme of the series is joy in suffering. And what we've seen is that Paul is writing a letter to the Christians at Philippi who are in difficult circumstances. And he's telling them about his own plight. He's been imprisoned because he's been wrongly accused of doing something that he was illegal to do according to the Jewish custom. And so this imprisonment has given him an opportunity to tell the prison guards about Christ and to spread the good news wherever he was uh, in prison, which was actually in Rome. Now, what Paul is going to do here is he's telling the Philippians, hey, here's my problem, and here's how in the midst of it I'm rejoicing. And we see that Paul has chosen to commit his life to glorifying Christ no matter the circumstance. And we've just gone through a bit of a transition as we got to the end of chapter 1, starting in verse 27, where Paul moves from talking about his own circumstance to talking about what's going on, actually going on in Philippi. And he's going to tell the Philippians that Christ gets glory when they unite. Christ gets glory when they unite. And it introduces this idea of unity, which helps us get at what is the main idea for today. So here's the main kind of idea I want you to get. Church unity results from individual humility. Church unity results from individual humility. And when the church is unified, we experience great joy. Now, when I say church, many of you are thinking of a building. But when I actually am talking about is a 
group of people who gather together on a regular basis to encourage one another, to open the scriptures together, to take the Lord's Supper together. This is what makes up a church. There's leadership and there are people that care enough to get into your life and to hold you accountable. These are the things that make up a church. And then you, you, you preach the gospel and, and, and this is what makes a church, not just brick and mortar. And we really have a wonderful illustration of that here because we are a church, yet we do not own this building. This building is obviously belongs to somebody else. Church unity results from individual humility. When the church is unified, we get to experience great joy. And we experience great joy because others are touched by the ministries of the church when it's unified. Here's a more simple way of saying it. We make it further together than we can alone. We make it further together than we can alone. So something happened in the life of our church this morning that's notable to from our fledgling congregation ran a race, uh, a 5K. And the two people that ran the race, I'm not sure if they're even here, maybe they're still recovering. Susan, I saw Susan earlier, is she in here? Susan's right over here, is Megan here? She may be working downstairs with the kids. Yeah. Uh, she's downstairs. So Megan and Susan have been training. Uh, did you, I think you used the little app on your iPhone, right, to train for this 5K? She did. She did, okay, so Couch to 5K, I don't know if you've ever heard of that app, which is a really a good one. And, and so they, they ran this race. And so I saw it this morning. They tweeted a picture of it. Here they are after the race, smiling. So they ran a 5K. Where was it, Susan? It was out in Memorial. Okay, Memorial. So you completed it and did a very, very good job. Let's give Susan a round of applause. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. The reason I make a point of this is because Susan and Megan have been encouraging one another in their training in preparation for this race. And I bet during the race, they had more fun doing it together than they would have had they done it alone. Not only that, they were strengthened by the fact that there was somebody else doing the race with them, right? I, mean, I can tell you story after story in athletics of people who were able to do more on their own when they're with somebody else. They're able to do more individually when they're connected to somebody else in a race. This is what I want you to understand is that together we can experience God in an incredibly powerful way. But it begins with individual humility. It begins with individual humility. So would you stand to your feet as we read together Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May God bless the reading of his word. So what exactly is Paul saying here? First of all, we see that unity is made possible by God. God creates the room for unity to happen. There are four phrases to begin this passage. And he begins them with this word, if. Now, actually, in the way that we understand uh, this passage, that word could mean something more like since. It's since these things are true, you're to act on them. So what are the four things that he is saying are true? First of all, since there is encouragement in Christ. See that little phrase there in verse 1 of chapter 2? Since there is encouragement in Christ. Now the word encouragement comes from this Greek word that's also used to, to as a title for the Holy Spirit. Uh, meaning comforter or counselor. So he's saying that since you have been connected with God through the Holy Spirit, you've been encouraged, you've experienced God's Spirit encouraging you do this thing. Now, when we talk about encouragement in Christ, I want you just to think about a moment in your life where you've had a really, really difficult time. Maybe in that moment you experienced the peace of God in a supernatural way. I attended a funeral just a few months ago of a woman in her early 30s whose husband also in his early 30s died suddenly of a heart attack. They lived right over here in Midtown. And what I will never forget about that funeral, and it's tragic, two baby girls, twins, is looking down and seeing this widow lifting her hands to worship God and praising God in the midst of the sorrow. Now, the only way someone can experience that kind of encouragement is if God's Spirit dwells within them. If there's been any encouragement in Christ, if you've ever had a moment where, where God has reached down and encouraged you in your difficulty, then do these things. Second thing, if you've ever been comforted from love, also connected to the work of the Holy Spirit, all four of these are. If you've ever experienced God's love, oftentimes we experience God's love in Christian community, which is one reason unity is so important. If you've ever been ministered to or cared for or loved on, you've ever had anybody come up and genuinely take interest in your life and concern for your need, if you've ever been loved, if you've ever participated with the Spirit, in some of your translations, this third phrase here is actually the word fellowship. When I think about fellowship, it also reminds me of partnership, which Paul's already brought up in chapter 1. There's a working of two beings together. There's two people in partnership to do something. If you've ever worked in partnership with the Holy Spirit to do something remarkable. Now, I yesterday, I uh, spent the day working in my yard. Did anybody else work in their yard yesterday? What is it about yard work that just results in sore hamstrings? You know what I mean? Like, I... I woke up this morning, I was like, I, I exercise pretty regularly. There's just a different kind of soreness that happens. But 
Yesterday, I, I knew I had this come. My yard has been neglected, and and so I decided I'd get up and work at it. I didn't realize that my wife had also been planning to get up and work at it too. Not only that, but I had four minions, four children, who, who, who oh, three of them, driving is no help at all, except for ridding the yard of trash that he could pick up and stick in his mouth. But, um, but so, so we were out there together partnering together to accomplish something. So in some ways, I experienced a little bit of partnership. Now, none of them were the Holy Spirit. We might have gotten done a little quicker, but it did result in a beautiful line. I took a picture of it. Here it is. <laughs> so just a little, just a little place I have over here in River Oaks. I partnered with my wife and our children to accomplish something. This is what he's talking about. If you ever sense God working with you, wanting to do something through you that would result in a greater, something greater than you could do on your own, then. Then be unified, that's what he's going to say. Or the next phrase, if you've ever had affection and sympathy, if your heart has ever been touched by God through other people or just supernaturally, then, then do these things. He actually goes on to say to them, make my joy complete by being unified. Now, I've started this point out by saying that uh, our unity begins or is made possible by God. So if you're connected to God, it is possible for you to be unified with other people for something greater than you can do on your own. But if you're not connected with God, you ought to be. So you say, how in the world do I get connected with God? Someone said, you get connected with God by going out into nature and observing the grandeur of God. His beauty. And I'm saying, no, no, that's not what connects you to God. That is what makes you aware of the fact that God exists, according to Revelation, or Romans chapter 1. And you say, well, when I look into the face of my child, I'm connected with God. Well, not, not in the sense that I mean. That, that won't save you recognizing that there is a God because of the beauty of your child. Uh, that merely makes you aware of the fact that God exists. What connects people to God is repentance and faith through Jesus Christ. This is what connects people to God because there's something separating you from God, and that is your sin. And the only way that your sin can be erased is if through faith Jesus Christ dies for it. You say, I want to be connected to God, what do I do? Repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. That's who must do. We have a group of police officers here, and, and I know you guys see the worst of the worst. I mean, you see the darkest parts of our society on a regular basis. I mean, you see the, the, the sin of our city in a way that there's not another person in this room that does. You see it. How in the world can someone in the midst of a world like that and choices like that, sinful choices, be connected to God Almighty. It's through Jesus Christ. Jesus changes lives. Paul's saying here that unity is made possible by God. And you know if you're unified to God, 
If you've experienced encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, and affection and sympathy. He's not saying that these are possibilities. These are the inevitable result of you being connected to God Almighty. If you've never experienced encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, and affection and sympathy, then what I would say to you is you're not connected to God. You ought to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ so you can be. So that you can experience God's Spirit coursing through your veins. So that you can see God connect you to other people. So that your life will become about something that lasts far beyond your life. Next thing that we see here, starting in verse 2, that unity is an individual choice. I said, God makes it possible for people to be unified. But we must choose it. It's like God opens the door, but we must walk through it. It says in verse 2, complete my joy by being in the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in the one mind. Four times he repeats this idea of unity as if they might not understand it if he only said it once. Same mind, same love, full accord, one mind. Be unified. Well, what does that mean exactly to be unified? It's an individual choice to do four things. First of all, do nothing from selfish ambition. You see that in verse 3? Do nothing from selfish ambition. Ambition. Real unity happens when we realize that we're not competing against other Christians. We must, must realize that for unity to happen, we can't be about ourselves, about promoting ourselves. The illustration that I've heard in this part is like the movie Hunger Games. Has anybody seen the movie Hunger Games? Over 18-year-old guys are like, seeing it. So in the movie Hunger Games, the kind of the idea is that, is that every man for himself, right? I mean, just get out there on this, this battlefield representing your tribe, and every man for himself fights to the death. The church and Christianity is not supposed to be like that. Some of you have been wounded in the church because your experience has been other people are all about uh, ambition about themselves. They're selfish, and so it's wounded you. It's hurt you. You wonder if there's actually a church anywhere where people are unified and not about selfish ambition. I, I pray to God that we're one of those. And second phrase, do nothing from conceit. What this means is when you're conceited, you have an empty glory for yourself. Not about glorifying Christ. You're about glorifying yourself. This is a hard one to recognize. So unity is an individual choice to do nothing from selfish ambition, do nothing from conceit, and also to count others more significant than yourself. You see that in the verse there? Right part of verse 3. Count others more significant than yourselves. It gives us the idea of humility. Promoting others. Honoring others. Finding ways to push others forward, push others ahead, even if it means we struggle or we suffer or we're inconvenienced by it. This is what it means to consider others more significant than yourselves. Like our police officers on week-in, week-out basis. I know you all serve other people. And oftentimes, not maybe oftentimes, but sometimes they might not even deserve it, but you know it's the right thing to do. You serve them by helping to protect them even though they maybe put themselves in a difficult circumstance. Unity is a choice to count others more significant than yourself. How often do you do that? Do you practice that regularly? 
in the fourth phrase here, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now this tells us that we should be aware of our own interests, right? But we're not only to look out for our own interests. This is the thing about the church that I think many times we miss in the West because we're so highly individualistic. We're all about uh, ourselves and promoting ourselves. This is ingrained in us. It really is. We must acknowledge it. We forget that whenever you become a Christian, not only are you invited into a relationship with Jesus Christ, which erases your sin and connects you with God, but you're invited into a community of people. Your decisions are no longer your decisions. Your decisions now impact other people. And so we must not only look out to our own interests, but we must also think about the interests of others. One way in the New Testament we see this happening uh, beautifully over and over again is in the way that they spent money. There's a really fantastic uh, part, or the way that the New Testament operated, where it says that those that had more gave to those that had less so that there was equity. We're not only to look at our own interests, be aware of our own needs, but we must look at our own needs through the lens of other people's needs. What do the people around us need? How can we help other people progress while we are also trying to grow in our relation to Christ and grow in this life? There's certainly nothing wrong with trying to build your career or to, to, to you know, advance in whatever you want to be good at. But if that is at the expense of your relationships with other Christians, something is wrong with that. You become preoccupied with yourself there's a problem with that. If you find yourself dipping in and out of the church only when it's convenient, that is absolutely 100% out of bounds. It hurts church unity. What you ought to do is find a church and go, you know what? I can commit to with these, I can commit to Christ with these people. I want to be unified with these people. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is what's required for unity. Now, this is not easy, and one reason that Paul writes these kinds of words over and over to many churches in the New Testament is because they are human beings, and they struggle at it, and we will struggle at it. There will be things that pop up along the way that we have to apply the gospel to that, that could, if not dealt with properly, disrupt unity. And anytime you get a group of people together in relationship, there's going to be problems, right? Now, I'm thankful to God that that our church is quite unified. I think the level of unity is very high. We want to walk together. Frankly, if people don't feel unity, they just leave. And um, so we, we've not had to face these things that disrupt unity that we see throughout the Bible uh, very much yet. But we will. And it's okay. But we must be committed to being people who are wanting to be unified. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing from conceit. Count others more significant than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. If we do those four things actively, then we will experience the kind of unity that God is talking about. Now, we have a model for this kind of a lifestyle. Now, this next part of the passage is a remarkable and beautiful section of Scripture. The model for humility 
and looking not only to our own interests, but the interests of others, not being about uh, selfish ambition or vain conceit, is Jesus Christ. Not only does God make unity possible, he provides example of unity through Jesus Christ. Look there in verse 6. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now let's stop there, because he's already said a lot. Here's what he's saying. The Bible describes God as one being three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three persons of the Trinity have always existed. You are one being, one person. God is one being, three persons. So we are not uh, polytheists. We don't worship multiple gods. We worship one God who has three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three of these have always existed. And at the right time in history, the second person of the Trinity became flesh. We call him Jesus. While on the earth, he was still fully God, making it possible for him to resist every temptation and not sin. He was also fully man, which means he can identify with us. His divinity connects God to us. His humanity connects us to God. So when God became flesh, this is what Paul is saying. He left his righteous position of majesty to humbly dwell among us, to do the very thing that Paul is commanding the Philippians to do so that the church will be unified and God will use them to touch people's life. What did he do? He humbled himself and served people for the greater good. Look at verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul is telling the Philippians, hey, you got it tonight. If you've experienced God's presence through the Holy Spirit has comforted you, it's encouraged you, it's helped you, then you be united. You walk together. Don't be about yourself. Be about the greater good of what God wants to do in the world. You need an example. It's Jesus. story in the Gospels where Jesus is with his first group of followers called the disciples. It's near the end of his life, right before he's going to go to the cross. He's eating a meal with them. He actually, for the very first time, breaks bread with them, representing his body that will be broken. He takes some wine and they all drink it and it represents the blood that will be shared, which is why we do the Lord's Supper. But in that moment, he did something else. He took off his outer cloak. He got on his knees before these disciples. These men who traveled with him on a long and dusty road. 
He got on his knees before them, and he prepared to wash their feet. Picture this. The king of glory. God in his fullness bowed before this ragtag, very average group of dirty men. He's going to wash their feet. We feel the humility of that picture. It's Peter. Peter says, no, no. Peter was, was a unique one of the disciples. Very impulsive. He says, no, no, because he had a kind of sense that this rabbi was, was quite possibly the Messiah. He said, no, 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 I'm not going to let you wash my feet. I'm going to wash your feet. Jesus said, right. if you don't let me serve you in this way, you don't have no part of it. Peter says, oh, if that's the case, then I want you to wash all of them. I want all of what it means to know you, Jesus. And Jesus washes Peter's feet. See, this is an illustration of what it means to be people who follow Christ and are willing to serve others, recognizing that God wants to do something in the world. Recognizing that there are people outside of the church who, if they just for a moment saw a church unified, genuinely caring for one another, they'd want to be a part. For some of you, you've been turned off by the church. You might believe in God or even acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. But you've been turned off by the church because your experience of the church has been anything other than human. Maybe you've listened to a preacher who seems like all he wants, wants is your money. Or you've entered into a church and realized that there's more junk inside the church than you even know outside the church. Let me tell you something. That doesn't change the fact that when Jesus Christ enters people's lives, it's possible for them to gather together and experience the kind of unity Paul's talking about. What we want to do as a church is to be a church that's unified, humbling ourselves as individuals for the glory of Christ in our city. This is our hope. This is our desire. It's one reason we so quickly identify and raise up leaders, because we don't want this thing to be about any one person or the progress of any one person today. Certainly not mine. We will commit to unity. And if you don't have a church that you are regularly a part of, even if you're new in the faith or just checking out what faith means, I want you to consider joining us, walking with us, being unified with us. Will problems arise? Yes, they will. I, I've said all along, when a problem arise, uh, or arises, I actually think it's a really, it's a gift because it gives us an opportunity to practice the kind of unity Paul's talking. First things first. If you're here and you're not connected with God, then you ought to be. There's a lot of decisions in your life that are important. What you're going to do for a career, who you're going to marry, how you're going to spend your money, how you're going to prepare for when you're so old you can't work. There are these kinds of decisions. 
But there's none more important than deciding who you will serve. Let me say to you, serve God. Repent of your sin. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. The result is your sin is erased and you're given life. You're invited into this epic story where God is doing something in the world through you. Your job, as menial as it may seem, you will begin to see that as a part of what God wants to do by providing redemption to people that are all around you through your time.